You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Robert Smith. Today's guest joins us from Wairika, California, where he's the CEO of the Siskiyou Golden Fair. Cliff Munson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. It's been a quite a night. We had a big snowstorm go through, so it's almost happy, really. We've been so long since we've had moisture. Yeah, so I understand you were shoveling about two feet of snow this morning. Yeah, my wife uh, parks in the garage, so just so happened the way the snow was blowing last night, we had a little... Uh, drift right in front of the garage door so I shovel it out and then came to work yeah I don't remember the last time that we had two feet of snow here in Albuquerque I want to say it was probably somewhere around 2006 or 2007 um, we had a good little run back in October we got about 10 inches but normally Albuquerque does not get the snow um, we, we we describe ourselves as the hole in the middle of the donut because there's enough heat coming off the city that is those big snowstorms desert snow rolls in it becomes just rain and, and fog across the city and the snow goes around us, which is unfortunate. Yeah. I like the snow, but I don't know if I'd want two feet. It's all good. I mean, we need the moisture. You're right. So I'm glad I could get you on the show. You're the CEO up there at the Siskiyou Golden Fair. What can you tell us about your fair? Well, you know, we're uh, a county of about 42,000 people and we get about 45,000 attendants at our five-day fair. So we're very pleased with that. And uh, I don't know, it's a unique little spot up here. We're the only golden fair in California, even there was a whole uh, program dedicated to fairs in California called California's Golden Fairs, but I still stick with the fact that we're the only golden fair. So what, what distinguishes it as a golden fair? Well, that's just what our board decided to name it back in about 1968 or something like that. And so... That's why we're the Golden Fair. And so you're still the Siskiyou Golden Fair after all these years. So how did you end up with the fair? Well, you know, I was actually born here in Siskiyou County. Uh, this was the fair I attended as a youth. I showed 4-H animals here all the way until I graduated from high school. And then um, I left uh, the community and went to college. I was off. I ranched in Arizona, went to Pendleton, Oregon. Um, did a lot of different things, was a regional manager for the American Angus Association, came back here, um, managed our own Angus ranch, my family's ranch here in the area. And then um, 22 years ago, I guess now, maybe 23 years ago, I ended up in education and ran all the counties after school programs. Um, you all know Rebecca Desmond, who uh, was the former fair manager here. And then she went to the state of California and uh, ran F&E and now is at California Fair Service Authority. Well, she was the fair manager right before me, uh, took those promotions to Sacramento and it left the position open. And for whatever reason, I applied and I got the job. Of course, immediately right after I got the position, I went through the whole California um, fiscal crisis and you know we got defunded in 2011 and the rest is history, so. So you've been with the uh, Golden Fair now for just over a decade. How has the fair changed in that time? Well, you know, uh, the fair itself is, is kind of a historical and cultural event. And so the, I think the changes that have happened is it's become a lot, you know, 
it was always it was always a place you know that people held sacred in their in Siskiyou County. It's like the thing to do in August every year. Uh, people, um, you know, it it stays relevant here. I think no matter who's managing it and. But you know the changes have been we've put into place more um, activities that are homegrown. Um, you know we've done a few more events that are. Um, you know we've created our own entertainment. Let's just say some of it, and that that's helped us just because fiscally, when we were defunded as a state in 2011, we really had to um, learn how to be self-sustaining and and. We've worked through that and got to a point where we, I would say we are self-sustaining now. So, um, and it's just taken a lot of, um, a lot more community partnerships on certain things and building up um, partnerships within the community that make the operation run. Um, other things that have changed here, of course, is with all of that defunding, we've become a lot leaner and meaner. There's only three full-time employees here instead of the six or seven that we had back in the day. And um, we've had to be use technology a lot more. We've learned how to, you know, sell more tickets online. Our whole advertising scheme has changed and gone, you know, away from newsprint. And uh, something that's kind of interesting about Siskiyou County is we have two radio stations, no television stations, and one newspaper that in my time here has gone from a daily to a weekly newspaper. So, you know, you've had to learn how to use a lot more different kinds of technology, Facebook, uh, Instagram, other things that you have to pick up pretty quickly as an old timer to stay up with the hip, you know? Right. Is there, is there anything you know now that you've been at this fair for 10 years that you wish you'd known when you became CEO? Uh, yeah, I wish I would have known that we were going to be defunded in 2011. I would have stayed at my old job. Oh, wow. no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> That's not true. But it's, I think it's been a great, um, it's been such a learning experience. And, you know, my, my time here just at our fairgrounds has not been just that. I've been very active in the California Fair Alliance, which of course continues to try to help all California fairs at our state level. And I just finished as the Western Fairs Association chair, which we changed a year ago from being the president of Western Fairs to the chairman of the board, uh, simply to get the titles kind of figured out better for, for the employees. And, you know, it's, it's been a struggle on every level, but um, I guess, as you say, is there anything I wish I would known? It's it's almost like the Garth Brooks song, "The Dance." You know, you just you you just live it as you as you go, and and yes, you learn a lot of stuff. But I don't think I would have wanted to know all the secrets before I got to this point, because it would almost feel like it was overwhelming. I think. Right, and maybe it robs you of an experience, a learning experience, and a growth experience if you know it ahead of time. Yeah, isn't that the truth? For sure. So let's take a trip back to early 2020. <laughs> I know it's not the best year to take a trip back to, but let's take a look. Uh, you know, we've got this virus coming on shore. We're starting to hear about it in about this time last year. And um, I think from talking to folks on the podcast, the overwhelming majority of people figured this thing could be two to three months. It caused a couple little disruption for some spring events, and that would be it. 
But then all of a sudden we get to March 11th and Houston cancels. And I think that significantly changed our industry. What are you thinking when you find out that the Houston Livestock Show shut down? Well, I have to tell you, so um, Houston, uh, you know, was on my mind being in Texas. And of course, I knew Houston was shutting down. But as a fairgrounds ourselves, as our one little fairground here, we also have an event in March called the Siskiyou Sportsman's Expo. And it's always the last weekend in March. And we had already figured out that we were not going to be able to pull that off. Um, the county, uh, at that point, the state really hadn't figured out exactly how they were gonna handle things, but uh, I worked very closely with our county officials. And we knew that even if we, if we could have it, we could not bring in the things that we needed to bring in to make the event successful, which was the chainsaw carving portion that we do because all the carvers come from without, outside of our county. And we knew that we weren't gonna be able to use the inside of the buildings because they were already telling us that you had to you know, social distance and you just needed to cancel. So we were canceling our own event, which to us is a big deal because we put on four events a year ourselves and then all the rest of the income that we do here would be all from rentals where other people come in and rent the facility and do their own events. But that Sportsman's Expo is our own event. And the part that I think was so critical for me uh, with the Houston deal was is that as the Western Fairs Association um, chairman is we had our first real um, shock I guess it would be shock uh, from all of our our partners, which are the vendors and you know food vendors and people that are you know do the California circuit that were in Houston and you know the fact that they were shut down and they were talking about how much product they had purchased that they were you know they were giving it away because what else are you going to do with it? Just let it rot if it's food food yep. vendors and it was pretty traumatic and as a you know, not only for our little fairgrounds, because we were suffering our own tragedy at the moment and, you know, trying to regroup. But as the Western Fairs chairman, we were trying to figure out as an industry what this was going to look like. And it, it wasn't good at any level. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. And, I, you know, we've we've spoken with a handful of concessionaires and the feeling from so many, especially there's just a feeling of, of sadness for so many that were down in Houston or were at Miami or Indian River County in Florida, where they were, you know, minutes from opening in Miami, like 15 to 20 minutes from opening and the health department came in and shut them down. And you think about how much money all those vendors sunk into having their stock ready, having all their corn dogs ready to go, their turkey legs, all that jazz. And then you think about the fair all their advertising revenues, all those dollars had been spent. And then, well, and, and you know, what's interesting is, is, as you understand that is it, we're talking, you know, around the first of February, these things were starting. We had already, you know, just got done with the Western fairs convention and, and we'd done a bunch of planning and what was going to be happening for the year. And of course, immediately we're pivoting because we're in triage now, instead of, trying to get anything you know then it's immediately um developing newsletters and and you know call-ins and just making sure 
you know, just really everybody trying to help each other. And in this industry, I would say that's one of the real blessings of the fair industry is that everybody does try to help each other. It's not, it's not like you own the corner uh, clothing store and the lady next to you owns a clothing store. I mean, you're not right. really sharing your trade secrets when you're next door to each other like that. But, you know, I can't tell you how many times as a fair manager, I've watched a food booth pull into the fairgrounds and they've blown a tire on something or they they've lost a propane tank and they need a and the next vendor over hands them what they need you understand yep. where i'm going it's just a whole of different course. it's a whole different industry than you know and and from fair manager to fair manager we share our trade secrets all the time it's not a it's not anything secret it's like you try right. to make sure everybody's successful so i mean that's one of the blessings of it well the success of one becomes the success of the whole in this industry so that's the truth. Yeah, I wish I could say entertainers were quite so generous. <laughs> There's yeah. a, little, a little more cutthroat on our end of things. Um, yeah, I'm sure. But I mean, it is what it is. You find your your niche within entertainment. You find your group, your people, and then yes, within those people, we will do anything for each other, even if it means that person gets the gig and you don't. Mm -hmm. It's just how we roll. But for your fair, from a leadership standpoint. What are some of the key things you did to begin responding to this crisis? Well, immediately what we did was, is we had to do a complete analysis of our budget for 2020 and, and figure out, you know, if we were not, uh, if these things started canceling. And of course, I will just say the first thing we did was at our next board meeting, we discussed what are the dates going to be when we have to say okay we can't go does that make sense it's like yep. what is What's our cutoff date what's our deadline and everybody else you know every fair had that had to figure that out for themselves now some fairs might say it's 30 days some say 60 days we really figured out pretty quickly that we just didn't think that we could lead our vendors on lead on our carnival operator lead on our food concessions and say you know, so we kind of asked them what, how long, you know, if we can't go and we've came up with about 90 days out. So with a August fair, you know, that put us back, whatever that is, June, all of June, all yeah. of July, all of, uh, you know, uh, maybe the end yeah, of May. Mid-May, something like mid -May. that. Right, mid-May. So, so we figured this out. And then, so we started there. Uh, we started working on um, reducing expenses as much as we could. You know, we only have, it's not like we could lay anybody else off. It's not possible in California anyway, because there's myself as the CEO, and then I have two state employees, and you know, there's laws and guidelines that, to be able to lay somebody off. So you really weren't going to be able to do that, and I wouldn't have done that anyway, because there's other reasons why the fairground um, has to stay prepared to open and and some of those are emergency services here and we always end up being a fire camp just about every single year for a week or two weeks that's a short-term thing but but you know you just can't not be ready for anything so we did um we are on city water on this fairgrounds which is uh fairly expensive so we really reduced our watering because by the time we figured out we probably weren't having a fair. We didn't need all the grass to look like, you know, a park here. We just wanted to keep it alive and the trees. So 
by cutting back on the watering, we would cut it back. We was able to cut back on the lawn mowing. Um, so we just kept the facility, you know, available. If if you had a, a group or an event, because we went through a time there where, you know, you could have less than a hundred people. They went they went through many changes in California over what was legal, like what size of a group could be there, and if they're inside or outside, and social distancing and so we ended up with, you know, it got all the way down to 10 people couldn't meet in a group. So, um, but before that, there was ever multiple levels of what could happen. And so as we transpired through those, uh, we of course had some activities that happened at the fairgrounds. Of course, they weren't the normal beautiful fairgrounds that they are, but um, you know, they were, there's a few brown spots, but not bad and, and uh, we just kept the grass alive. So it was somewhat green, but we didn't plant the flowers like we normally do. Uh, it was just that kind of a year. So we were able to cut our annual expenses. So we have fair time expenses and annual expenses. We were able to cut the annual expenses uh, in half. So we knew that we had already cut out, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of expenses that way. And then by, again. Not, by not having a fair, uh, we were able, you know, the expenses from the fair, but of course we didn't get the income either. Right. And, so and, eventually you guys get to the point when you speak of not having a fair where you did have to make that decision, you know, somewhere around mid to late May or the beginning of June. Take us through that decision-making process. Well, we had a board meeting and even at that point, it wasn't a unanimous vote of the board, but I just said, you know, it's not fair to our vendors and, um, you know, we had had a staff meeting and, and and a staff meeting here is three people. So the three of us sat down and I just said, I just, I, you know, we cannot risk, um, the risk is too great to uh, say you're just going to go because honestly, you could do whatever you, you wanted in that point. I mean, you could say, okay, you could say you're going to go and you could advertise it and you can do all that. But I mean, if the National Guard shows up or something and, <laughs> and they're standing at your gate, what you're you not going to go. Yeah, you're right. not going to go. So, I mean, and who knows at, at any time what level this is going to escalate to. So we basically made the determination. I think it was we have only five board members on a nine person board. We've had four openings for about three years now. So the five, the, the fearless five, I call them, they <laughs> hold out and still have board meetings and we get done. But we uh, just came to the conclusion that we were going to have to cancel. And of course, then it's, you know, sending out the contract saying, we're sorry if anybody had put a deposit down, we sent the deposits all back. We sent everything back that we had brought in. All of our fair partnerships that we had built up over time, we gave them the opportunity to either donate it uh, because we did have a livestock show for the kids, but we had nothing else. It was just that. And we had no vendors. Uh, we did not make any money uh, as a fairground, but we did continue to support the 4-H and FFA kids, and that event was very successful, but that cost us some money to put on. We still had to have the grading judge, and we had to have the, you know, the, the normal costs of what that costs for us to do it, so, um, but a lot of people uh, left their um, partnerships as a donation to allow us to do that. It cost us about $38,000 to put the event on, and I think we got $38,000 in donations that were left on the table. So 
it really about broke even for us, which was a wonderful thing because it was great for the kids in the community. That's terrific. Now, how's it, I mean, how's your staff feel then in that moment when you guys have to cancel and, and say it's not going to happen because you guys put so much work into planning these things and then poof, it's gone. Well, and, and well, you're going to think this is kind of nuts, but ever since then till now, you know, we are still doing a ton of stuff and we're still planning, of course, for 2021. And like right now, I mean, you never quit planning uh, an event and it's, it's kind of funny, but really the week after a, a normal fair, we're already planning for the next fair. People, you know, you get this a lot as a fairground manager, they say, well, what do you do the rest of the year, you know? But <laughs> really, it's pretty, it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're really going uh, year round. And so uh, for us though, we had enough um, other small things that happened at the fairgrounds. We had a couple of horse shows that were able to um, ride a COVID-19 plan that was accepted to be able to do their events. You know, they couldn't have more than a hundred people on the grounds and they had to have all these, you know, you could imagine a social distancing plan. And, and so we got that pulled off. We did have a little bit of uh, auto racing. They couldn't have any fans, but they could race their cars. And if they social distanced and we made all that work, but you know, we, it, it truly was almost more work to try to plan through all the COVID plans and to keep things going. And I, I really do have a great staff here. And so you still have the same book work. I mean, you got monthly, you know, you're not talking about lots of cash and you're, but it's still every day you have the same daily chores you have to do. It seems crazy, but that's the way it works when you're, when you're yeah, working. Sure. In a facility. So, what kind of, so as you're planning for 21, what kind of mitigation strategies are you looking at? Well, you know, we uh, work very closely. So, I mean, we work with our county health department. So the, the director of public health, uh, anything that I want to try to pull off, uh, like our, our March uh, Sportsman's Expo would be coming up. And, and really when I went in to try to mitigate that with her, as you would say, uh, she told me that I probably better not. Uh, you're not gonna pull that off. So we, our next event is in May. And it's on Mother's Day weekend, and we have a jackpot show, which is where youth come and show their beef cattle at ours, our jackpot show. And so we're going to add our Sportsman's Expo to this jackpot show because we're not going to anywhere near reach 50% uh, of capacity at the fairgrounds. Um, but we have had to have a few little events. And so, Robert, I will say those little events have really helped us learn how to um, handle a lot of the pressures that are put on by COVID and, and all the, you know, the, pro, the plans that we put in place. So it helps us. So you would think this is crazy, but in um, it, the, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, we were able to hold our outdoor uh, holiday market. And it's usually held in the inside. We call it the holiday gift fair, but we moved it outside. It could only be local vendors. We had about 55 vendors. Uh, we had them all uh, 10 feet apart and they were outside and they each brought their pop-up tent. And it was a more successful to me event than when we had it for 15 years and it was in three buildings and, and you know, it was a lot of hoopla. But this outside, we allowed the vendors, they didn't allow, weren't able to set up the day before like they normally do. They had to just set up on the day of. We let them park their vehicles right next to their tent 
pull right beside it so they could get product out if they ran out they could set up a table we had hand uh, hand washing stations we had porta potties instead of using fairground bathrooms because then you could you know you knew it was one person in one person out you could sanitize when you needed to sanitize we had a lot of hand sanitizer stations where everybody could use that and everybody was so polite and just waited their turn and it was, I think, as successful as our normal one or more so. A lot of our vendors said they'd made more money than they normally do. Everybody seemed happy. We had a beautiful day, which does help. A lot of times you could get a nasty day that would have really hindered it, but, but it was a sunny day and everybody came out and had a good time. So, you know, we've had to do this, like you're saying, how do you plan and, you know, and what are the things that you've done to mitigate problems? So. Just down the road from us, we had a fire camp this last summer, and we found out that uh, one of those companies that provide services to the government or the state for emergency services for a fire camp had built a, a, a tow behind trailer that does COVID testing in terms of like the checks the your temperature, you walk through it, they. Uh, you know, I, they do two or three things in there and I can't think of what the other two were, but they do some things to make sure, have you been around anybody? They ask you the questions, you know, have you been around anybody with COVID? So quite honestly, they set that up right by our front door and um, we got to watch that whole thing work so that if we were gonna have an event, because that's a lot of people going in and out, you know, all at the same time, a couple thousand firefighters, we were able to see how we could effectively use something like that if it came to that to be able to get people on and off the grounds. Right. So, you know, here in New Mexico, it feels like we've been given an almost impossible standard um, to start really reopening. Of course, our governor gave the state of the state yesterday and she went from this very convoluted, um, you know, kind of gating criteria that would likely have not had schools reopening this year to all of a sudden February 8th, they can reopen just poof, magically, it's fine for them to reopen. Um, between you and me, I can't imagine what changed in the last week to 10 days that would make a governor suddenly have such a change of heart, but she did. But in the meantime, businesses here have been devastated. Um, with the restrictions you're seeing in California with what you're currently under, do you think you'll even be able to have that 2021 fair? Well, for us, I what I'm looking forward to is, well, I don't know if you know this or not, but I would think that your governor and our governor are similar in terms of, you know, these restrictions are on today and these restrictions are off tomorrow. But uh, just yesterday, I think I heard that he opened up, um, opened up California again, even though we have a lot of the areas, you know, I can't remember how many areas, seven areas, I think. And we're almost all the counties are in that purple stage, which means that if you're in purple, you there's some restrictions, but you know, you're still able to move about. And then when you get to the top of that purple, it's when you have it's you know, it's mandatory stay at home, all restaurants are closed. I don't even think you can do takeout at that point or whatever, but you know, we're at a point where, you know, we're still doing you can do takeout and those kinds of things, but then uh, just yesterday, I haven't, I can't verify this, but I heard that he's opening California back up because he thinks that we're kind of plateaued in terms of the cases. And so, but I don't, you know, I can't, I don't get paid the big bucks to figure out when things open and don't open, but right. I just know this is what I heard through the grapevine and being in my position as 
still on the Western Fairs Association board and talking with, uh, in fact, some of the people that you mentioned earlier before we started this, uh, that the governor's staff and those people are thinking that they want California open by the 4th of July weekend. Um, whether that happens or not, I can't say, but right. but they're thinking with the way that we're trying to get the vaccinations out there. And in fact, last just last Friday, we had our first drive-through vaccination clinic right here at our fairgrounds for our county. And we did almost a thousand people uh, between 10 and four. And those people all come back on the 12th of February to get the second shot. So that's a good start for us. That's, you know, 1,000 out of 40,000. So but yeah, I, start you know, someplace. I, don't, I don't know where that what that looks like, but um, I guess I'm pretty positive in terms of I try to work with our local officials and and um, I just say, hey, I'm going to do the best I can. And and I will say this out of the events that we've had and we've built a a uh, covid plan in place and and we've followed it. I I can say that nobody has reported that we have caused a spike in COVID in our county using the protocols that we're using. So I do believe that I'm, I'm, I'm confident that August 11th through the 15th, we're going to have the Siskiyou Golden Fair. Well, that would be something after the, the year that we've all had. Um, do you think in the event you guys don't have a fair, because we've talked to a lot of fair managers that, you know, they're, that had to cancel and, you know, now they're, they're kind of on the ropes and 21 is going to be a requirement in order to have a 22. Are you guys in that boat where if you lose two fares in a row that you're in real trouble? Um, thankfully I'm not. Good. Good. I really hope are, that uh, the majority of fares in this industry are able to recover. I know there's some, uh, some pretty big names on, on the list of fares that are in trouble right now. And I just hope that, I don't know whether it requires just flat out reopening and let us start getting some non-fair events going and then get the fair going or if they need a cash injection from the government, but these fairs are important and they need to be able to survive. Well, in, in California, I mean, I can only speak for that now that I'm not the Western Fairs Association chairman, but um, I know that our budget uh, rolled out in January and I think the governor sees the need to um, maybe try to help out a little bit more. Um, it's going to take some negotiating on our part to uh, try to get the monies that he set aside to be used for, uh, you know, just operations. But um, there's 50 or 60 million uh, set aside for that. And I know that sounds like a big number, but there are just two or three fairgrounds that would need that 60 million probably to just survive. So right. it's not like we're going to not going to have to do some work ourselves, but you know, there is still, there's still hope out there. And, and we have a great team of people that are uh, trying to make that happen. So uh, pleased with that. Now y'all up there in Wairika, you're about as North as you can get in California. How far are you from the Oregon border? I'm about 20, maybe 25 miles from the Oregon yeah. border. So looking at Google maps, it looks like you guys are just surrounded by national forest all around you. Mm -hmm. um, how much do you guys feel the typical impacts of wildfire season there in California? Us here? Yeah. Well, you know, in the, in my time here as fair manager, I think we've been used as a fire camp, let's say uh, more than 10 times. And I've been a fair manager for 11 years. So, you know, it's at least 
if it averages out to once a year, I think one year we did not have a fire camp, but every year and uh, a lot of times it's a California, uh, a, uh, California Department of Forestry, Cal Fire fire camp. Uh, a couple of times it's been a U.S. Forest Service fire camp. And what, for, the, for the folks listening, what exactly does that mean, a fire camp? Well, what happens is, is they use this facility to, um, uh, to amass the team that's fighting the fire. They come to the fairgrounds. Um, the firefighters that are for service rest here over when they're not on their shift out on the fire. They're here on the grounds in a tent or uh, sleeping in whatever they bring with them to sleep in. And so they're scattered all over the fairgrounds. So they rent the entire fairgrounds to combat the fire. And there's the, the, the main um, information center is always at the fairgrounds. So you, you know, you have a lot of trailers and the infrastructure of the fire is usually it comes right off of the fairgrounds. So it becomes the headquarters for the fire response. That's right. Got it. No different than down in, you know, some of those fairgrounds down in, you know, South Texas, down in the Gulf or, right. or throughout Florida when they're staging linemen and whatnot for hurricane response. It's the same kind of thing. It would be exactly the same. Yep. Yeah. It's another one of those things that I think is, it's tangible when you're on the emergency response side, but I think to the community, it's an intangible. They don't really see it. You know, they, they, as we've talked to so many fair managers, they see a fair that pops up for a week or 10 days over the summer. They see the lights on the Ferris wheel. They go have their turkey leg or their funnel cake and they ride some rides and, you know, watch the magician or watch the pigs race. And that's it for the fair. It's just like you said, they go, well, what do you do the rest of the year? Well, you know, about when our state's burning, we make sure that our firemen have a headquarters to launch that response from. We have a really, a very important role, uh, structural role in all of our communities. Um, yeah. But, you know, between the pandemic and, a, frankly, an unreal fire season in California, I think it's important that we still try to focus on the positives. There's more than enough negatives out there to talk about, but let's talk about, talk about some positive. What are some of the bright spots you see in our industry moving forward? Well, I, I do believe that there's been, you know, one of the big pushes in the last 10 years, um, especially since we were defunded in in California in 2011, one of the big things has been that we've changed that focus from talking about fares, like you just said, which is really interesting that even you've brought that up, to calling ourselves fairgrounds. Because these grounds, um, something I got from um, Becky Bailey Finley was, you know, there's X number of sacred places in every community. Now, our fairgrounds, like you said, we're surrounded by wide open spaces, correct? I mean, you know, you can go down the freeway from our fairgrounds and go through Shasta Valley, and there's ranch after ranch right along the freeway that's wide open, green, beautiful space. But some, a lot of fairgrounds are in communities, and, and, and the community has grown around the fairgrounds to where the fairgrounds used to be on the outskirts of town, and now it's nearly downtown in, in a lot of places. And it's really the only place where there's any open space uh, left in, in a community, much like a park or something like that, but a, a space that's large enough to take care of any kind of a situation like we're talking about. And this last year, especially down when you look in, in, the, in the Bay Area and you look just north there in the Napa Valley and up through there, those fairgrounds, you know, there's been talk about, oh, you know, why don't we, um, you know, um, 
put a subdivision or whatever where the fairgrounds is, you know, why not use up that land? But it's really become apparent that fairgrounds are a necessity simply for so many uses. It's all the other uses that you talk about. And, yep. and, and I can say probably when fairgrounds were created, uh, let's talk California fairgrounds again, because, you know, the whole system started in the early 1920s when uh, the network of California fairs was started at the state level and the 54 DAAs were formed. And, and of course, then all the other fairs, the 76 fairs in California are all part of that network. But, you know, that whole system was started with DAAs and they wrote all the legislature. The fairgrounds were simply to promote agriculture. You know, we didn't have talk radio and, and television ads. And if you wanted to go see the newest tractor, you had to go to a fair to see the tractor. And you, right. you know, that's how it was commerce. It was everything happened at a fairgrounds. Well, you know, so we have evolved over the years into what we are now. But in the last 10 years, I mean, it's been a huge, I mean, it's, it's an amazing amount of change in 10 years from no funding to fairgrounds supporting so many things i mean we're talking about fires but you know we just had the orville dam trying to break you know that would have yes. been devastating yep. in california that was a winter time thing yep, i heard about it on the news and we still have uh fema camps at some fairgrounds where the people that have been run out of the fires down in that chico area are still staying on fairgrounds in trailers i mean this is not this hasn't ended it's just right. you know but it's still um our mission is still the same, you know, we're still promoting agriculture and we're still doing the things we're doing, but it's just amazing to me, like you're saying, how have we evolved and it's nearly impossible to envision how much and how much we've evolved in just even 10 years. Um, yeah. That's just my take on it. And, and really when, um, when all of these states get desperate, like there's some situation that happens, like you were talking about hurricanes and other things, they all look to us to try to provide, you know, an answer for them. But yet our facilities are not, are not, um, they're not throwing money at us, let's say, to make these facilities <laughs> respond to all the needs that they're coming up with for us, right? They're, you know, we just aren't, we are not equipped to do a lot of the things they want us to do, but we still sure. try. And I'm going to tell sure. you, we still try. You know, we'll do whatever. There's three people that work here, and there are times when we're going 24 hours a day, many days in a row, trying to provide for our community, no matter what the situation is. And I think that's all positive, because I can tell you, we're not a fair, we're a fairground. Yes, we put on a five-day event that we call our fair. Right. But and it does generate a tremendous amount of our annual income. But what we do the other 360 days a year is what really makes us that sacred place in our community. Yep. You know, the New Mexico State Fair released a video. Um, it was either yesterday or your, the day before talking about um, how they've supported COVID response, first with testing and now they're starting to do it with vaccines. And it's just to remind, they're the largest, they're the largest COVID testing facility in the entire state. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing they were right here in Bernalillo County because we're the highest population in the entire state. You know, we needed them there. And there was a time in, in this state's history where 
Um, I'm not sure that Expo New Mexico could have supported that role. And, but, our, you know, our state, uh, our legislators and, and the team at the New Mexico State Fair that right now, man, with Dan Morning and Antoinette Kalina and the group they've got there is just amazing what they right. do. And they put, I'm glad they put that video out because people need to know. I think that's one of the things we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot, I think, sometimes because we're great at putting on our events, but frankly, a lot of us suck at messaging. <laughs> we just don't put the content out to say, hey, you know, we're more than just a Ferris wheel and corn dogs, you know, for 10 days or whatever in September. We have a year round you know, structural support of this community. So I'm really glad they did that. Um, you know, I'm glad that, that you guys have been able to be so supportive of your community because, and we all know on the inside, we all know mm -hmm. what we do. It's just tougher to see it on the outside. I'm curious though, what about this industry inspires you the most? Well, I, I think I, I'm inspired by just how much good this industry does. So just on a daily basis, there doesn't, is not a day that goes by. Yeah, I hear all of the other stuff, right? You hear the negative stuff, but, uh, and most of that has to do with just how we feel like we're being treated sometimes, you know, it's just like, wow, that's a, that's a bad hit, you know, on us, but, yep. but it doesn't matter. The people that are in this industry are just good people. And I mean, they will do whatever for whoever, whenever. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, it's, it's incredible what happened. I think it was so interesting that you mentioned Dan Morning and, you know, as the WFA chair, a few of the things you get to do is you get to pick where you're going to have your feature fair tour. And just to plug for Dan, you know, we chose it for our 2020 adventure and we didn't get to go, but uh, just a hallelujah. It's also going to be our 2021 choice. Awesome. Uh, Eric Wooford, our, our, our chair for this year, uh, said, let's go. We're going to go to, to the uh, New Mexico State Fair. And, you know, Dan and his team just won one of the prestigious awards at WFA just a couple years ago. And um, I just think he's a great guy. So I, I'm excited. I, I won't be the WFA chair when I go down, but I'll probably have to pay my own way and everything else, but I am going to make a trip to New <laughs> we Mexico. Will, we will make sure if you need help getting down here, you let us know because we're going to make sure you have I'll, a good time here in, in New Mexico. I'll ride my horse if I have to. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all you good. You won't have to ride a horse. We'll make sure you get down here. Um, no, it's going to be great. I, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. And But, you know, that's just when he started to get involved in Western Fairs and they uh, came with their ideas. I mean, it's so great the the more people that get involved and, and they share things that they're doing and, and what happens in their communities. And it, it's just a blessing for all of us to, to have that. And that's, you know, you were saying, what are the things that make me just excited about the fair industry? And that's the fact that everybody shares everything. You know, if you can make it work at your fair fairgrounds, go ahead and try it. You know, nobody's right. going to be upset with you for stealing their idea. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Has this ta past year taught you anything about yourself? <laughs> uh, I like yeah, the probably. laugh on the end of that. <laughs> well, it's like, because when you say that, you know, uh, I'm just going to tell you about my personal 2020. So, you know, we started out, it was so exciting for me uh, coming in as the WFA chair. I have two employees. Uh, I don't call them my employees usually. They're my coworkers here at the Siskiyou Golden Fair. Uh, Michelle in the front office and Mike out on maintenance and 
and I have to go out and drive the forklift for Mike sometimes, or I just try to stay out of Michelle's way because she does a great job. And, um, but you know, just the fact that, you know, they knew that they were going to have to carry the load. I was going to be traveling to so many fairs. I was going to get to see so much stuff. And, you know, they just started falling like dominoes down, down, down. And, you know, it was so depressing. It could be really depressing if you let it be depressing. But, you know, we as an industry kind of got together and said, well, how, what are we going to have to do to survive, you know? And so it was really trying to hone your survival skills. Well, it wasn't very long into 2020 in my own personal family. Uh, I have six sons. Uh, my youngest one just turned 26 a day ago. And uh, the older five, not him, but the older five, one by one started calling and saying that I was going to have a grandchild. So I, I'm ending up with, in September, two granddaughters. In December, two grandsons. And I have one more grandson coming on around Valentine's Day. So five grandchildren right during the middle of this COVID thing, which is kind of tough because you can't go to the hospital and sit there and wait for the grandchild. You just got to kind of wait for it by the phone. And yes, we've got to go see them all uh, against state and, and all regulations. We've driven to where they are and got we to help them and, anyone. <laughs> huh? We just, won't tell anyone that you yeah, went against Don't tell anybody, but I've been everywhere. It's so, okay. There's only nine people that listen to the show anyway. So oh, that's gonna... awesome. It's going to be good. But <laughs> so that part of my life has been very rewarding, right? You can't really say 2020 has been all horrible because, you know, I had three grandchildren and by February 15th, I think I'll have eight grandchildren. So, you know, you're going to go broke trying that's to, that's a lot of fun. I mean, spoil we'll four, all those grandkids. We have four grandsons and we'll have four granddaughters and that's going to be great tied up. Everything's good. So that part's kind of exciting. So you know, the year has taught me that you have to really, um, you got to be happy for for the, the the wins, right? The little victories, you're, you've got things that could have turned out horrible that you got to do. We got to do our holiday, uh, outdoor holiday market. You know, we figured out how to write a plan that would pass by saying we were providing an essential service here in California, which is a swap meet or a or a flea market type of an atmosphere where they're outside and they're, you know, that's a, an essential business. And so we had to switch it all up. And it's, I'm telling you, it's not easy as it, as you get older, you get more set in your ways and you know, these, this is how it works best. And you've been doing it that way forever. But you know, our fairgrounds, another thing, we knew that we were going to have to change some things. And Michelle has been so great about it, but we went to a a POS system here at the fairgrounds, a point of sale. And yes, we did call it a POS system for quite some time when they were trying to figure out how to make it go. But, but no, now it's great, you know, but they're doing so many things. You know, um, we used to print thousands and thousands of copies of our exhibitor handbook. And last year, because of the way things went, it was all online. And we figured out, you know, we might print 50 or 100 copies of the exhibitor handbook for those elderly folks that just can't figure it out on a computer or, or we will assist them but we are truly moving towards technology and it moved us along a lot faster than we would have ever done it and the changes that we've made that are really probably good changes uh just how we do some simple things have they been done that way forever have you heard yep. that already oh you know, man that's, that's for... where businesses and fairgrounds go to die oh we've always done it that way but 2024 okay. sports to look at things differently. Well, I mean, we 
you know, we did our, our whole still exhibits last year online. We had a great response. Uh, the people sent in the, the things that we could do still exhibit, you know, you really couldn't judge a zucchini uh, yeah. by taking a picture of it. But, sure. you know, the everything that we could, the photography, uh, quilts, you know, they took pictures of it. They took pictures of the stitching. You know, you did the best you could to, you know, still do what you did. And, and really, we just said we're going all the way back to the beginning. Our first fair was in 1859 and we had a livestock show. We had a few vendors and we had some still exhibits and it was things like butter and and cheese and you know uh, doilies and something else you know there was but we went back to the very very beginning last year just so that we could say we had something and and it was you know we did a lot of so that i think the changes and the advances in technology and the just the way we did things now i'm going to tell you just a little i'm you're probably not huge on livestock shows but we had to do a livestock grading because we couldn't have a show so you bring the animals in the ring and, and the person who is evaluating them has to look at them and say that animal's market ready or it's not market ready. That was essential. That's essential because those kids still are sending a product to market yep. uh, that will be used by the consumer. That's essential business. The show itself is not essential. So when, by doing it that way, we ran those animals in the ring. The judge says, that's the best animal in this class the rest of these animals are all market ready or they're not. Some weren't, that's the way it goes. But then nobody was put in a place. It was just like everybody is market ready or they're not market ready. Right. Well, there's no hard feelings or anything. Everybody knows this kid gets his hand shook because he won. You know, at the end, those five or six animals that won each class got to come back. We picked a champion and a reserve. That was part of it just to say, hey, we have to do that. That's part of the, 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 the history of it. Of course. So we did our COVID um, you know, our COVID regulations, we did everything we had to do and we were able to still pull it off, right? So you see how you can do some changes? I think that system was much better than when you line kids up, even though you're market ready, you're the last kid in the line, you still feel bad, right? Yeah. And really that's not what it's all about. It's, you know, you pick a winner, everybody else is market ready. It doesn't matter anyway, because the computer generates the sale order. It doesn't matter where you were in class. So, you know, it's crazy, but that's, I mean, there's some great things that came out of this whole thing just from that aspect. Well, I'm talking too much. <laughs> You're not talking too much. I think that's really um, been the underlying theme that is frustrating as it was for so many of us, whether you were in entertainment, you were concessionaire, the fairs themselves, as frustrating as the cancellations were, it did force some innovation in this industry that I think may, in some cases, for some fairs, was long, long overdue. Um, so I'm I'm happy to see some of the direction we're moving. I'm just hopeful that um, as we get towards spring and early summer, you know, you mentioned that you're starting to hear kind of talk uh, whispers about you know Fourth of July and and after. I've spoken with several guests that my personal gut feeling is somewhere around June or July we start to pull that needle back in our favor and we start to get more events off. They may not look completely like they did in 2019. It may be a year or two before we really are all open and all rocking and rolling again, but we got to get something going, you know, for so many fairs that, you know, the non-fair event income, the rentals for the RV show or the, whatever it is, makes so much that. of, you, you got to have that because with, uh, a number of fair managers said, you know, our non-fair rentals, 
fund the fair and then the fair funds us the rest of the year for you know until right. we get, and it so it's very much a cyclical thing and we've taken a very very huge chunk out of that cycle and we got to start putting some of those pieces back well kind of what you're you're talking about there so let's just say um you know even our county said that come fair time um i think that the event uh, would be able to run at 50% capacity of the fairgrounds. Now I'm not the LA County Fair and I'm not Del Mar and I'm not, right. you know, You're I'm not, not Costa Mesa. To, yeah. That's coast. That's Del Mar. So, yeah. but you know, I do not pack uh, a million people onto 90 acres. Right. I mean, I just don't do that. Right. So in these rural fairgrounds, our county thought that, you know, we should probably be able to run at about 50% of capacity. Well, we figured out that capacity on our fairgrounds inside our fairground fence, not, I'm not talking about the entire fairgrounds, including the parking lots and everything. We're about 85 acres. But if you give each individual their 36 square feet of space, if you've got a social distance six feet apart, right, which is their choice once they get inside the fence, I just have to allow, make sure I have enough room for them to do that. Right. I could hold about 26,000 people a day inside the fence at any one time. You know, how so many if, people do you average per day at your fair? Uh, 10,000. <laughs> so you're good. You've got headroom in there. In I have case headroom. You have a, in so case you have a record setting day. If I have a record setting day, let's say I even get up to approach, you know, I could get up to, you know, 13, 14,000 people, which would be huge. Right. Uh, inside the gate, um, I'm still within the COVID regulations, you know? Right. Yes. Do I have to uh, make sure I have plenty of hand washing stations, plenty of, uh, you know, hand sanitizer every place, more signage, uh, you know, the bathrooms with maybe a bathroom monitor at every bathroom. Right. I mean, the expense for me is going to be a little bit more, but can I do it? I certainly can. Well, and, and this industry has proven over and over again. I mean, this is what drives me crazy, and we've talked with other guests on the show. This industry has dealt with H1N1. We've dealt with avian flu. We've dealt with different pandemic outbreaks, salmonella thing, all the sort of – we are literally primed. All we had to, all you had to do is tell us, hey, you need to double or triple the amount of hand sanitizer stations. Okay. Well, and <laughs> We're ready to go. Worse. I mean, when you look at fairgrounds themselves, you know, E. coli has been our number one enemy if you, yep. if you follow that across the United States. And so we've had hand washing stations and signage, you know, wash your hands, For do decades. not drive your baby carriage down the, you know, livestock barns, you know, just keep your tires clean, don't touch them. You know what I'm saying? It's, yep. it's not like we haven't preached this for years and actually put remedies in place to, you know, try to combat it, right? I mean, we've tried to be as safe as we possibly can. And, you know, I, I wish I had one of my COVID signs here, but, you know, California Fair Services Authority, which is our self-insurance company, you know, kind of it's a JPA that does our insurance in California, but they sent us out these signs. I have signs all over this fairgrounds. And on the sign, it actually says, if you enter this facility, you could die from COVID. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, it says it right on there. I mean, but we're doing everything in our power to protect you. If you follow, you know, wear your face mask, use the hand sanitizer, try to avoid right. each other. You right. know, it's, it's very hard to catch COVID outside. I know that. So, yes. Well, and at the same time, there comes a point where it's like, 
be responsible for your own self. Just like when you go to the grocery store or when you got to go, you know, go out and pick something up at Home Depot or whatever. Do whatever well, mitigation strategies no. you need to do. And if you're not comfortable going to the fair, then I, w- I mean, we've had several fair managers say, listen, if you're not comfortable coming out, please don't. We want our guests to be safe and feel comfortable here. Well, and if 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 you don't think that you can witness, you know, mass crowds on on and you know on the tuesday after the first of the month go to your local walmart and watch that i'm not picking on a a giant retailer i'm just saying yep i mean it's a daily occurrence at at some of those where you're it's i mean it's would be way less people per square foot than you have in one of those facilities at a fair completely yeah totally agree with you Listen, Cliff, we're just about out of time on the show. I'm glad I could get you on today. Before we go, everyone who comes on my show does a little speed round of questions. So I'm going to ask you a handful of questions and you give me your best answer for each. You ready? Okay. Favorite food at your fair? Uh, It would have to be a corn dog. Last book you read? I'm reading it right now. John Grisham's new book. I've only got three or four pages left. I can't think of the name of it, but John Grisham novel. (laughs) Three three pages left, but I forgot what it was called. Excellent. I don't know the name. Yeah. Star Wars or Star Trek? Ew, neither. Fair. What's worse, laundry or dishes? Uh, dishes. If you could be a guest star on any television show, past or present, which show would it be? A guest, a celebrity, or a guest, just like on it? Just a guest. Yeah. If you could have a guest role. Oh, on probably it. Jeopardy. Really? Yeah, I love Jeopardy. And you'd want to be a, but you would you want to be on with Alex Trebek or with Ken Jennings? Oh, uh, I don't know about that. I, I miss Alex. He was a legend. He's just a legend. And last question What's your best tip for making the world a better place? Be nice. Thank you. Cliff, if folks want to reach out and get a hold of you, where can they contact you? Well, you know, we're right here at the Siskiyou Golden Fairgrounds, Monday through Friday, eight to five. We do take an hour off for lunch from 12 to one, but. Uh, you know, and what's your, what's your website? Uh, www.sisqfair.com. Got it. Cliff Munson, Cliff Munson, CEO of the Siskiyou Golden Fair in Wairika, California. Cliff, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you for asking me. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.